Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am co-host Mike Pearson, joined by my other co-host, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I am fantastic. The sun is trying to shine its way through, and I understand you were on the road for a little bit today. Did you see any planters rolling? I didn't, to be honest with you, um, but I was pretty tuned in. I was listening to some podcasts, so I didn't pay attention, I guess, so much to my surroundings. Gotcha. Did you uh, listen to any good ones? Um, I have been listening to this one called S-Town. It's produced by Serial and This American Life, and it's, I don't know, it's pretty interesting if you like um, like mystery or real-life action. I don't, it's hard to explain what it's about you just have to listen to it yeah my uh, my wife's a big fan of that one she's been trying to get yeah. me to listen to it and i just haven't i haven't gotten around to it i don't know that i want to commit myself to it's a only it's only seven type. episodes it's only oh, seven okay well that might be one of the things i uh i download when it comes time to make hay which is getting close uh yep it is almost that time of year delaney I know. Man, it is growing like crazy. And I do have to give a huge shout out and thank you to a lot of our listeners who sent me in various tips and tricks for uh, killing dandelions. So I'm excited (laughs) about that. I've got all new things to try. It seems that I've been going about it backwards. I need to be killing them in the fall, not trying to catch up to them in the spring. Yeah. So I've got some. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So now I've got some stuff to work on and I'm going to have a good looking lawn this time next year. I I think it's funny because like when you're when you're little you always think that they're flowers and you pick them and bring them to your mom and then they turn into disgusting white fluffy whatever weeds and it's like I look out in my front lawn and I've done a really good job in the front of the house getting rid of them I've got like four out there but when I look it's like four little middle fingers sticking up at me from the (laughs) middle of my front yard and I hate it. Well, and if you leave them, they'll just keep multiplying. Yeah, exactly. They're like rabbits. They just keep going. Nice. Yeah. Actually, Great. that reminds me, Delaney, while I'm getting these tips and tricks, <laughs> that reminds you of thing. something. It does. I have a mole or a groundhog or some kind of, of underground critter tearing up my front lawn. Anybody with thoughts on how to get rid of that, let us know on mm. Facebook and on Twitter. My neighbor suggested that I pour diesel fuel into an opening <laughs> And then you're going to need a little gas to get the fire yeah. started yeah, and then I was light say. it. Yeah, like Caddyshack when he tries to get rid of the gopher that's tearing up the golf course. Exactly. And uh, I don't know that my home insurance will cover exploding <laughs> my front lawn with diesel and gasoline. Oh, my gosh. If you do that, can I please come record it and post it on our social media so you our know, listeners can we're see gonna it? We're going to Facebook Live that bad boy if it ends oh, up Oh, yeah, happening. even better. You betcha. So that's the news I've got, Delaney. Critters in my lawn. What do you have as far as ag news is concerned? Um, well, Trump, President Trump is uh, pushing again the renegotiation of NAFTA. It's a little bit difficult to explain because he says that in the next two weeks, they're going to have a plan that they'd like to um, push through. But with that, Congress has to have a 90-day notice, which I believe he did give. But I don't think we've hit that 90-day period yet. And also tied in with that, um, the uh, confirmation of Lighthizer has to be confirmed before a negotiation or a renegotiation of NAFTA can occur. Okay, so we've got some hoops to jump through, but it sounds like he's just right. going to throw his thoughts out there. 
it sounds like he kind of just wants to push through all these hoops and disregard them, maybe. I mean, there's there's controversy behind it of what exactly he can and can't do with his executive orders and presidential rights and all of that. Gotcha. And I would imagine a businessman like Donald Trump is probably getting frustrated by these weird you oh, know, yeah. 90 days, 60 days, got to have yeah. this person in. He probably just wants to run ahead and do it and can't blame mm-hmm. him. But so I guess we'll just see how this shakes out. I'm sure we will cover his uh, his comments once they're out there. Right. Right. And I think I think a lot of what's pushing him is what's going on with China, or with uh, Canada, with the dairy industry. Now, Mexico has also said that they might look for other um, markets to supply dairy. And Mexico has also been working on their trade negotiations with Argentina. So I think he's probably just feeling a lot of pressure to get something rolling. Okay. All right. Well, we will keep our ears to the ground as uh, that kind of thing takes shape. Mike, what do you have going on? Well, that's a good question. So I've got some news here. I've been talking to a lot of cow-calf producers, ranchers over the winter, and uh, the general consensus is that everybody is replacing everything they sell. And I've heard a lot of regrowth, you know, herd growth, but uh, I haven't seen anything to quantify it other than the USDA uh total cattle inventory report on January 1. Until today, KG Market Sense, which is a subsidiary of the Clefman Group, which is an ag marketing research firm, did a survey of cow-calf producers and vets to learn their perspectives on the uh, the issue going forward. And basically, 70% of those surveyed said they do not plan to change the size of their cow herd in the next year. of producers said they plan to expand, and 8% said they're going to shrink. But basically, it all came right back down to the price of cattle in the marketplace, and they're just less excited to grow with prices where they're at today. Now, Mm -hmm. this survey was done about a month ago, so since then we've put quite a little bit on feeder cattle prices. So maybe it's changed a little bit, but uh, at least we've got some data out there as of right now. Gotcha. What else you got? Well, in when other news, on Monday, uh, the D.C. Circuit Court will hold oral arguments against the EPA for a slew of challenges to the 2014 through 16 renewable fuel standard. And so as part of the arguments, there's a group of, joining the group, I should say, there's quite a number of people or big groups uh, included in that is the National Corn Growers Association, the National Sorghum Producers um, in the National Farmers Union, but they say um, the EPA's methods for determining renewable volume obligations on cellulosic, ethanol, and biomass diesel are what is being called into question here. And so we will continue watching that and see what comes of that case on Monday. Okay, and it might be worth, as this thing uh, shakes out, maybe we should have another conversation with uh, with Robert White. Because isn't right. uh, is who all was was a party to that suit? Was the um, RFA the, on it? E, the Renewable Fuels Association, yes, they okay. are on it. Okay, so he could probably yep. shine some more light. Um, I guess once we see how it all happens on Monday, you say the twenty fourth is when they are going to court. Yes, yes. And if if you're interested, there's a full story. It's pretty detailed. Um, it was back in January, released on DTN the Progressive Farmer website, Uh, the date that it came out was January 31st, and it's titled RFS Court Battle, 
if you want to know the full extent or the full details, the article is there, so go look it up. Um, it it gives a lot of detail about cellulosic biofuels and uh, compliance costs, a lot of stuff that's pretty in-depth. Okay, well, as long as we're on the topic of biofuels, we had good news. Um, if you are a supporter of renewable energy, the U.S. gasoline in 2016 contained more than 10% ethanol. And this is big news because for years and years and years, we've heard about the blend wall, the idea that consumers, unless they're forced to, will not buy, uh, we will not use more than 10% of ethanol in our nation's gas supply. Well, in 2016... We used, oh, let me find the number here. It was 10.41% of ethanol in the nation's gasoline supply. So as the country continues to drive more into the summer months, as we continue to fill up our vehicles with E15 and E85 and, of course, E10, we will see that climb higher and hopefully continue to draw down these corn supplies. Neither of your vehicles take e15 or e85 do they mike my truck burns e15 all the time oh really and my lincoln will be burning e85 once i make a moderation to the carburetor just basically increase the fuel flow and then you bet i've got to change change some seals and and change some hoses are you gonna do that no no okay no i mean i have some skills delaney but automotive work that's not one not one of them If I change the oil and manage to put everything back, it's a win. (laughs) Yep, I understand that. I personally like using E15 and E85 just because it's always – E85 is usually almost a dollar cheaper at the pump. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the the argument is because our vehicles aren't – aren't built to run on E85, we do sacrifice a little bit of mileage. But yeah, you're right. saving a buck. It's still yeah. more than pencils to burn it. And of course, that's in yeah. Iowa. Every place is different. But right. uh, yeah, now it's a fantastic product brought to us by uh, America's Farmers and uh, encouraged by the actions of the federal government back in 2007 with the Renewable Fuel Standard. Now, Delaney, we're not done talking about the Renewable Fuel Standard today, are we? Well, that was quite the segue, but no, we're not. We are going to have Senator Joni Ernst on. We actually recorded the interview with her yesterday because that's when her schedule allowed. But she's been a big advocate or very vocal, I guess, in regards to the EPA and the RFS. So uh, she's doing a 99 count tour right now of Iowa. But we did get a chance to talk to her, which will Queue up as soon as you read us today's market closes, Mike. You bet. Let's see how things finished for the week. On the corn side, choppy trade throughout the day. The May contract finished down three quarters of a penny at 357 even. The December contract was down half a cent, closed at 382 even. Soybeans, man, volatile trade today in the soybean market. The May contract was finished up four and a quarter cents, finished the day at 951 even. Novi contract down five, excuse me, I'm so used to saying down on soybeans. They were up. November beans finished up five and three quarter cents at 959 and a half. The wheat market was down. The May wheat contract dropped one and a quarter pennies to finish at 4.05 even. December wheat down a quarter at 4.59 and a quarter. Looking over at the livestock market, the April live cattle contract finished up 17.5 cents, closed the day at 129.80. June live cattle up 22.5 cents, finished at 116.70. 
in feeder cattle. The April contract, the only month that was up on the week, or excuse me, up on the day, finished positive 65 cents, closing at 138.55. The May contract down 50 cents, closed at 139.25. In lean hogs, the May contract was down 77.5 cents, finished at 63.02.5. The June lean hog contract was down 35 cents, closed at 68.32.5. In milk, the April Class 3 milk contract finished up 2 cents at 15.20. The May contract up 32 cents. Finally, a nice bounce in the milk market. Closed the day at 15.65. Delaney, should we turn it over to Joni Ernst? Let's turn it over to her. Welcome, Senator Joni Ernst on the Ag News Daily Podcast. She is our guest today on this Friday afternoon. Senator Ernst, tell us what you're uh, what you've been up to here the last uh, how long have you been on your tour now of Iowa? Well, I am in Iowa and for the past 2 weeks or week and a half I have been out on my 99 county tour engaging with uh, agricultural groups, schools, rural hospitals doing town halls, uh, manufacturing visits, just really seeing what Iowans are engaged in. And it has been a wonderful experience. Well, Senator, seeing what Iowans are engaged in, of course, we're getting ready, we're gearing up to uh, write the new farm bill. What cares or concerns have you had uh, with regard to the farm bill? Oh, gosh, I, I hear about the farm bill a lot when I'm out traveling around the counties. Um, it really is crucial that we all understand from the ag industry kind of what policies are in the current farm bill, which one of those policies are working, which ones aren't, and I am getting an earful. So um, we talk a lot or I hear a lot about the Conservation Reserve Program or as most folks know it, CRP, making sure that our dollars are being spent as they were intended to be spent by Congress years ago. The program was intended to protect those marginal acres or those that are vulnerable to erosion, and we're not seeing that so much anymore. Um, We really need to get back to the original intent. That's what I'm hearing from a lot of farmers. Um, We've also seen severe flooding on the eastern side of the state last year, and so that really highlighted the need for crop insurance and maintaining strong crop insurance. Um, And then also um, making sure that, that, again, I want to emphasize this again, that all of the programs that exist out there, making sure they're doing what they, they're supposed to do. And if they're not, I want to hear from those engaged in agriculture on how we can do better. So other than CRP, are there any programs that people are really vocal about that they're just not working? Well, we hear a lot about the Young Farmer Program, and not that it's not working. It's just a lot of the hoops a lot of those young farmers might have to go through uh, to actually break into agriculture. And I do hear a lot about that. Um, We have had a lot of young farmers come to us and express, you know, disappointment in the amount of paperwork they have to go through. A lot of it's uh, duplicative. And are there ways that we can streamline that process? Um, so those are things that we need to take a look at as well. So, Senator Ernst, for those of our listeners that aren't from Iowa, do you want to just explain really briefly what the Young Farmers Program is? 
Well, it's ways that, that we can sh- secure funding for young farmers, those that maybe don't have uh, a background in agriculture or have a family that's already engaged in agriculture. Maybe they're trying to purchase acres on their own or start a dairy farm or whatever it might be. And those programs allow us to go in and, and help with the start of that uh, young farmer, whether they're purchasing those acres or, like I said, um, engaging in livestock operations. Um, we do have people that want to get involved, but perhaps their family doesn't have those acres, doesn't have uh, an already established business in agriculture. So the government can provide a, a pathway into those types of, of employment opportunities or career opportunities. Now, one of the programs that I've heard a lot about, uh, or I, I guess I should say I've heard some grumbling about, but I'm not all that familiar with it, is the margin protection program on the dairy side. Now, we do have quite a few dairy farmers in northeast and in northwest Iowa. Is that a concern that's been brought up? Well, it is a concern that's been brought up, and I am hoping to engage with a number of those dairy farmers before we get too far into the farm bill. Um, we have done a number of roundtables with um, whether it's you know corn growers, soybean growers. We've had cattle producer roundtables. Um, but this is an area that we really need to start discussing, finding out what the problems are and how we might be able to make any corrections in the upcoming farm bill. So I'm looking forward to those conversations and that outreach from uh, the dairy community. Can you give us a timeline? So, oh, sorry, Delaney, go ahead. Nope, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to ask, Senator, could you give us a timeline as to when we need to have those uh, those comments in, be in touch with your office so we can shape the farm bill going forward? You bet. It does need to be soon. Uh, we will have a confirmation vote on Governor Sonny Perdue of Georgia. Uh, have him confirmed Monday, April 24th. He will become our next Secretary of Agriculture. And once we have him confirmed, then I do anticipate the Senate will start moving forward with earnest discussions about the Farm Bill. So the sooner we can get those comments into us, uh, the better off we are going to be and the, and the better off we'll be able to shape, shape that conversation, especially with some of those states and some of those senators that don't really have dairy operations. So we want to hear from those producers and anybody that's involved in the dairy industry on how that might be impacting their operations. Looking in Washington, looking out ahead, what other big ticket items or big things do you have coming up for discussion besides the Farm Bill and uh, Senator or uh, Secretary Purdue's nomination? Well, I would say that um, one of the things that we do keep our eyes on, um, of course, is always discussion about the renewable fuel standard, the RFS, and we've heard a lot about the point of obligation. There was some discussion about moving that um, point of obligation. And so that's one thing I think we need to be aware of. I think we've moved a little bit beyond that discussion, but it is something we're going to have to be very vigilant about um, and maintaining the point of obligation where it stands currently. Now, so I think that's something that will be ongoing. Now, Senator, with regard you, to the point of obligation, is that something that the EPA can move unilaterally or would it require a change in the law to come through the House and the Senate? 
Well, the EPA could do that, and that's why we have to remain ever vigilant. Um, it is not necessarily something that would have to be brought through Congress. So we want to make sure that, of course, the EPA administrator, Scott Blewett, under, understands exactly what that change would entail, how detrimental that would be to the RFS, and those are um, very much engaged in the RFS. Uh, I did join a bipartisan letter of 22 senators urging the president to maintain the point of obligation um, exactly where it is and, of course, encouraging him to reject any of those proposed changes, which would really upend the system as we know it today. So it is something that the EPA could do. We're going to push back on that, and we have to remain vigilant. If the point of obligation was switched to blenders, what impact could that or would that have on rural communities? I think that would uh, destabilize the renewable fuels marketplace, and that means um, that there would not be as many investments moving into uh, the area of renewable fuels. I think you would see a, a lot less of our grains that are being grown going into the production of renewable fuels, which right now we see um, a very tough market out there for a lot of our uh, corn growers, um, those that are trying to engage in biomass right now. I think you would see a really drop in participation in renewable fuels, and that's detrimental to everybody across the Midwest and those that are engaging in the RFS. So we really do have to push back on that, and I would encourage others to reach out as well. We will continue to do that as as a band of senators, but, of course, we want our growers to reach out and let the administration know how important it is to maintain the current point of obligation. Senator, while we're on the topic, uh, there was another case that came through Washington, D.C. this last week that has me concerned as a livestock producer. Um, it's the Waterkeeper versus EPA lawsuit where they challenged uh, EPA's exemption of livestock facilities from pollution mm. require, uh, reporting yeah. requirements. Is that something that's that's on your radar? I, I know it literally just was decided last week. Um, I just wondered if, if Congress has any plans to uh, address that issue. Well, and we, of course, we're out in our respective states right now, and we will come back together again next week on, on Monday, the 24th of April. And it is something that we need to have some discussions about. So in working in conjunction with, of course, uh, our new um, upcoming Secretary of Agriculture, working with the EPA and working through Congress, I think we need to take a look at this. Um, it is very concerning to me because, it, to me, this decision, it forces unnecessarily, mind you, um, an increase in reporting burdens and costs for our farmers. And I honestly don't see um, much public benefit. And I do think it makes our farmers an easier target for environmental activists. And so very concerning to me. It is on my radar. And we will have to have some discussions about this as we move on into this uh, this congressional year. Gotcha. Now, I've got one more question for you. We've talked about uh, Sonny Perdue, his confirmation coming on Monday. The next question, I think, as an Iowan to my Iowa senator is when are we going to get to confirm Governor Branstad as our ambassador to China? Do you have uh, is that one on the map yet? <laughs> 
That is, it is on the map, um, tentatively. So we know that uh, Governor Branstad has been meeting with um, senators in Washington, D.C., working on the, the confirmation process. Of course, we've had so many confirmations out there, and they've been very slow moving through. Um, we need some better partners from all sides. Uh, working on these confirmations, but we anticipate that it could be about the middle of May at the earliest, um, and I know that's a little discouraging for a lot of folks um, that want to see Governor Branstad moving into that very, very important position as soon as possible. Um, but uh, I know that the governor is excited about the opportunity. We are excited about the opportunity for him. And I have told the governor that I believe he is absolutely the right person at the right time to be assuming this ambassadorship to China. Um, our relationship with China is very rocky as a nation. Um, we would like to be good friends to China as long as they're good friends to us. And I think that Governor Branstad will be able to work on those relationships quite well. Once he is, once that confirmation is in process, does it sound like in your conversation with fellow senators that uh, it's probably a go? Or do you think there's going to be a fight? I don't see much of a fight so far. Um, I have talked to a, a number of my colleagues that did sit down and visit with uh, the governor before I left on break. And they were very excited about this opportunity, and they felt very good uh, after speaking with Governor Branstad. I don't imagine that we will see much of a fight with this confirmation. Senator Ernst, I have one more fun or more lighthearted question for you. I'm sure you get questions about it a lot, but what was the motivation or desire or thought process behind releasing your um, castration political video what was it a year ago now squeal yeah yeah it's, <laughs> yeah it's yeah been, yeah a few a few years back um when i was engaging in the primary for the united states senate yes, and right. it it really was a way to connect with iowa voters um, to show them that, you know what, I'm not afraid of hard work. I'm not afraid of getting down um, in the mud when necessary uh, to, to get a job done. And I think that resonates with especially those that have been engaged in agriculture. A lot of us grew up as kids on the farm, and we were required to do those chores. And, you know, I had some people push back on me for that, but I do believe in the dignity of a job. And no matter what job you are engaged in, do it to the best of your ability. And I think making that connection with so many Iowans um, really was, uh, it was lighthearted. It was a joy. And uh, we had a lot of fun with it. Well, Senator Ernst, we know that you are on a road trip today, so we will let you get back to work. But hopefully we can pick up this conversation once the Senate is back in session and uh, hear how things are going as we finish out this year. You bet. Thanks so much for your time. Enjoy it. Again, I think that was a that was Senator Joni Ernst, but I think that was a great way to end our week here at the Ag News Daily Podcast. I agree. Fantastic way to finish the week. It's good to hear from our uh, our uh, I was going to say our leaders, but I think there is an argument to be made that they're not our leaders. They're doing what we send them there to do. Right? We're the leaders. There right. are. Uh, 
There are tools in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and Senator Ernst has, uh, has certainly been a great promoter of agriculture in her, gosh, coming up on three years in the Senate, I suppose. Yeah, that's, that sounds right. Looking ahead to next week, Mike, uh, do you have anything big in plan for us? Yes. Do you know what it is No, I certainly do not. But as we get into next week, we will probably start to see planters rolling, so I'm sure we'll get some Mm -hmm. updates on uh, planting conditions. And if you have anything in your part of the world, I'm talking to the listeners, uh, be sure to send us some photos. Let us know how things are going. Are you in the fields? Is it still too wet? Is it still too cold? Fill us in. Well, I have a few things lined up for us next week. Uh, two specifically, we, one will be with, uh, he's actually a geology professor now for Iowa State, but he previously worked for ExxonMobil. I can't remember what he said his title was there, but he's going to talk to us about the oil industry um, and the different types of oils because I didn't realize that there was, he explained it just very briefly, but apparently the oil in South Dakota is a lot different and needs a lot less work than Texas or maybe vice versa. So we'll talk to him about some oil And then on Thursday, we will be uh, catching up with Margie from Farm Her, and she's going to talk to us about the Farm Her movement and what she's been up to. Perfect. Well, that will be an interesting week, Delaney. I'm looking forward to it. Me too, Mike. And I hope all of our listeners take the time to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play or any place else they get podcasts. And please do submit a review and a rating on iTunes, and we'll make sure we give you a big shout-out here on the air. So with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 